Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Medical charting has come a long way from the days of medical cards in the Civil War. Physicians now practice in a world of electronic health records and e-prescribing. Terms such as ransomware and Internet of Things have entered our vocabulary. We're in the age of medical informatics. Today, we will explore this topic with a thought leader in the field. We will discuss how medical informatics is advancing science and healthcare in new, unexpected ways. This is a fascinating topic, so let's begin. Dr. William Hirsch is professor and chair of the Department of Medical Informatics and Clinical Epidemiology in the School of Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Hirsch is a national leader and innovator in biomedical informatics, both in the arenas of education and research. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. William Hirsch to Sound Practice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's absolutely my, my pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about patient health records, organization and accessibility. What trends are you seeing in 2021 for medical informatics specialists? Sure. Um, well, um, you know, healthcare was a little late to the game in um, information technology. And, um, you know, back in the early part of this century, the 21st century, when many other industries, you know, quickly moved to online banking, airlines, uh, commerce, e-commerce, things like that. uh, Healthcare for a long time was still kind of mired in paper. And then we had, the Recovery Act in 2008, when Barack Obama became president, that allocated um, about $30 billion to help transition the country to electronic health records. And um, we succeeded in getting to electronic health records, but we probably did it a little too fast, um, because oftentimes when the money's available, you got to go with what what you can go with. So we, we've moved to electronic health records, which I, I think everyone will agree is a good thing. No more paper charts, um, illegible handwriting, uh, records getting lost, not being accessible. But we've introduced a number of new problems. Um, entering data electronically, especially the way we make physicians do it, um, takes more time. And um, um, there... Um, while the goal of electronic health records is to reduce errors, we introduce new um, issues, new safety concerns. Um, and um, there's also issues of how easy it is to copy and paste information, which can sometimes propagate wrong information. Um, and so um, it, it's been a mixed bag. Um, and um, I think the informatics community, um, the clinical informatics community, which um, includes not only physicians, others who who work at this intersection of of information technology and healthcare, um, are really committed to trying to make it better. Um, uh, Electronic health record systems have also become big and 
and organizations are dependent on them. So you can't change on a dime. Um, it takes a um, um, it, it takes a while, um, but um, things are improving. And there's a lot of initiatives going on. Some of the medical associations, some of the informatics associations are trying to do things like reduce the documentation burden um, and um, make information, make data more interoperable so it can move back and forth between systems. And, and we still have a ways to go. Um, there's also, um, um, it's been determined that um, some of the burnout that um, frontline clinicians have is related to the um, extra time and effort that it takes uh, to use electronic health records. Um, so there's an imperative uh, to do this. On the other hand, um, when the pandemic came, um, we were able to um, access records more easily, um, uh, bring up telehealth um, capabilities and so forth. So I, <clears throat> I, I don't really think that anyone wants to go back to the days of computers not being in medicine, but clearly we have a lot of room for improvement. And, and I think that's one of the major um, foci of the informatics uh, profession. I would, I would agree. Now, this, as you know, is the podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership. And the AAPL plays a role in advising physician leaders uh, of career opportunities. And we've seen that the Oregon Health and Science University has developed a series of videos showcasing the career opportunities for physicians and others in biomedical information. Can you tell us a little bit about that series of videos? Yeah, sure. Um, well, those videos um, <clears throat> tend to highlight um, individuals who have completed our program. Um, we're, we're not the only such program. Um, we're one of the oldest and largest. Um, the, the, there are career opportunities for physicians in the field of informatics. They're not quite as prevalent as um, primary care or, or even a lot of the other specialties, but um, most um, healthcare organi organizations now have someone who most commonly, although the titles vary, but goes by the name of Chief Medical Information Officer that really serves in that critical interface between physicians and other clinicians um, and the IT organizations. Um, um, IT organizations are really important in healthcare organizations. They, they maintain the network, they keep it secure, they um, keep the applications up and running. But to really understand the best use of that data and information, take someone who has a foot in both camps, um, who um, has, in the case of physicians, medical training, um, but also um, understands the issues around data. They may not be the right person to configure a server or something like that, but to develop an interface for um, uh, uh, data entry for a physician or to analyze the data out the back end to use it to try to improve care and things like that. Um, those are all opportunities for physicians in informatics. Um, as you probably know, uh, uh, about a decade ago, the American Board of Medical Specialties designated clinical informatics as a subspecialty of all specialties. That um, it's perhaps not like a clinical subspecialty in that 
it's probably not absolutely required to work in this field, but it is a credential. It, it is a, an indication that you've had advanced training, um, you've passed a board exam, that you're knowledgeable about this field. And um, more and more of the people who get hired into these CMIO roles or, or roles, we're also seeing more roles underneath them. Um, you know, it used to be there might be a single CMIO, but now there's a typically a clinical informatics department, certainly in larger hospitals, that um, again is distinct from the IT um, and um, um, basically runs the clinical application, tends to the needs of actually both the physicians as well as the patients. Because uh, another thing that's happened in recent years is um, patients want to interact with their healthcare organizations the same way that they interact with their banks and their airlines. And so they want to access their results, schedule appointments, um, uh, ask for prescription renewals, things like that. So, so you know, is this transition of healthcare becoming more digital? Um, there's, there's actually the kind of patient-facing side of it as well. So that's a great description of, I think, the, the field uh, of medical informatics. Assume that your next door neighbor's child is interested. Could you just talk about generally the, the pluses and minuses of a, a career in informatics? Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a great career if you're, say, someone like myself. Um, you know, I, I came of age in a very different era of computers, although I was exposed to them as far back as high school. Um, I, I actually even um, went to college thinking I was going to be a computer science major, but that was back in the era of punch cards and and batch jobs and things like that. And so um, I'd always been interested in medicine as well. So I ended up going to medical school um, and I trained in internal medicine. Um, and, and in the early part of my career, I, I actually practiced some as a general internist, but, but my passion in life was um, informatics um, because I really, I've always enjoyed working with data. Um, I um, enjoy um, analyzing, um, you know, asking questions of data, things you can get out, and, and you can do that in many different ways. So, um, you know, people, uh, actually, when I first entered the field in the 1980s, my grandmother said, you're still a doctor, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am a physician. I will always be a physician because I have the diploma, but, but I work in medicine. I don't, I don't um, sit in front of patients. Actually, back then I was doing it a little bit. Um, but um, there's all sorts of important things to do, and especially in this day and age, as we have um, continued increasing health costs, um, more and more complex treatments, um, um, understanding um, how treatments work, how much they cost, making better diagnoses, um, helping in the healthcare process. So even though you're not a frontline um, physician, um, you're still contributing to patient care. And there are many medical specialties where that's the case as well. Um, you know, things like radiology, for example, you typically don't interact with patients. Um, but um, it, it's, it's enjoyable work. It, um, I, I sometimes be careful not to overemphasize the technology because as I often say, informatics is more about information than technology. But I think most of us in informatics tend to be more at the cutting edge of technology because we enjoy it. And um, I tend to be that way too. Um, I have a lot of gadgets. 
Although sometimes I spend way too much time than I should be spending with them, but um, but I enjoy that as well. So it's a very rewarding career, um, and um, um, the the jobs actually not only for not only for physicians, but really for um, others who work in the field are um, you know they're they're very professional. They they tend to pay relatively well, um, and um, um, it's an enjoyable career. Dr. Sure, your grandmother and my grandmother may not have been able to envision the role of a physician in the world of uh, so much uh, data, but maybe you could talk about the um, redefined or evolving role of a physician uh, in light of the amount of data that we now have from EMR systems and in other places, because I think in Correct me if I'm wrong. There is some redefining of the um, of the field of, of medicine because of this information. Sure, definitely. Um, the well, one of my um, colleagues has often said that you know, as time has gone on, the number of data points per decision that clinicians make continues to increase. Um, even, you know, another story from my past, I can tell you when I, I actually went off and did formal training in informatics after my residency. And one of my attending physicians said, why, why do you want to do things with computers? You know, you should have all the knowledge of medicine in your head, you know, and that was the prevailing wisdom um, back in the 1970s, 1980s. Um, <clears throat> but reality, but in reality, that, that era was long gone, um, even back then, and certainly now. There's so much information, that, and then especially when you throw in the genomics um, and um, you know all the precision medicine and 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 everything, um, more and more clinical trials being published. You know, and then of course we've seen during the pandemic the the fire hose of of studies, good and bad, about treatments and 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 so forth. Um, it, it, the 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 knowledge base of medicine is, is just so huge that no um, human can can master it anymore, and so um, physicians are dependent on um, looking up information. But of course, even back then, we opened up a drug manual to get the dosage of a drug or look up the side effects. Um, but now. Um, there, there's just so much more that we need to know. And so um, the um, physicians really have to learn how to use computers well. In fact, one of the, another thing that's been really enjoyable in my job is being at a medical school, we have a, an MD program. So we, we also have this training program for people who work in informatics, but even physicians in the 21st century need to know how to um, use an electronic health record, how to look things up, how to make judgments between which sources of information are more credible than others um, and so forth. And then, you know, again, as we've seen in the pandemic, um, you know, when, when SARS-CoV-2 first hit, um, we knew very little about this virus. We knew very little about the symptoms it caused, who was at risk. And we were quickly able to determine that you know, people, more elderly people, people with comorbidities and so forth were, were at higher risk. Um, and, you know, now, of course, we're also learning that people have, um, some people develop long COVID. Um, we've also learned that some people get infected and, and don't have any symptoms. Um, 
we have all this data and that data can hopefully help us determine um, what, what to do, what, um, how we should manage patients. I, I think we probably manage patients now a lot better than we did a year ago. Well, that's a, that's a positive and happy thought. I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're correct. But, um, and, and I, I hate to be the, the skunk at the, the garden party, but I, I do want to raise uh, cybersecurity uh, issues because it seems as though at the time we're recording this, we are in a wave of ransomware attacks on uh, healthcare mm -hmm. systems and, and medical uh, providers. And I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, how much cybersecurity impacts the role of physician in biomedical information. Sure. Um, no, it's, uh, um, you're, you're not being a skunk at all. Although I have to say this issue transcends medicine. It's important in medicine and I'll focus on that. But, you know, everything we do is tracked, you know, every time you pull out your, your phone and unlock it, you know, uh, um, your carrier knows where you are, your apps know what you're doing. Um, your, your map app knows where your car is and, and where you're going. Um, yeah, you know, th this, um, this is a huge issue. Um, and, um, you know, one, one thing to always remember is that we can do potential good with this data. Um, and so um, if we focus only on the, 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 what the malicious things that can be done, you know, we're, we're, we're not painting the full picture, but, but you're absolutely right that um, um, security, um, privacy, confidentiality, all of those um, topics are important. Um, and um, th there are some technical solutions, um, you know, to keep information more secure. In fact, you, you can argue, I can certainly remember in the days of paper records when charts would sit out on the counter and anyone who knew how to look like a medical professional could walk up and start reading the chart. Um, and, and most electronic health record systems actually have audit trails. So we actually know who, or at least whose login has looked. Um, but that said, um, it, it, it's really as much a people problem as a technology problem. And in fact, a lot of the ransomware attacks come about um, because people click on the wrong links and introduce malicious software into their networks. Um, and and it's, it's like an arms race um, of, of trying to keep, keep ahead of the bad guys. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there, there are some really bad guys out there. And, and some of the um, computer systems, not, not only the, the, the medical information systems, but the underlying operating systems, you know, like Microsoft Windows and, and web servers and things like that have vulnerabilities. So I, I think it's critically important um, for er everyone who works in healthcare to be cognizant of security and privacy. And, you know, why do I have to do two-factor authentication with a card or on my phone or something like that? There, there's a few, um, um, things we need to do to that, that help with the security. Um, but people who work in the informatics field have to um, be knowledgeable about what's happening. They, they have to help train users to, to not um, click on links, to not send information where they shouldn't be sending it and so forth. And then we need the highly technical people um, who are up to date on the latest um, um, patches, system patches, and, and ways to keep networks secure. Um, and, um, 
um, you know, it, it's it, it will always probably be a battle, but um, it, we we need to. It definitely needs to be front and center in in our approach, and um, um, <clears throat> because you know, meta, it's been said that, for example, st a stolen medical chart is worth something like a hundred times a stolen credit card number because you can do so much more with it. So so we we need to be cognizant of it. It it, it needs to be part of what we think about, and and we need education about it so we know to do the right things. I think that makes sense. Now, many will shudder with the thought of attorneys and, and legislators coming up with new laws that directly impact um, informatics and patients' access to records, but that's what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, we have open notes that have, have hit and yeah. information blocking under the Cures Act is uh, potentially ready to open up a new world of, of information right. as well. And I think that from a medical informatics point of view, uh, these present both challenges and opportunities. And I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, well, you know, I think, you know, as in the old days when everything was on, I keep going back to paper charts, you know, you know, basically the the hospital owned the folder and the pieces of paper um, and patients didn't really have any. I mean, you could request your medical records, um, <clears throat> but at, with the growth of the consumer movement, you have patients who want to know more about their health status. And in fact, it can be a positive thing. Um, you know, the Open Notes is an initiative that came from physicians who held the view that if you give patients access to their records, to their data, they become more engaged patients, they might become more motivated to carry out the treatments you prescribe, to um, do things to um, um, benefit their health. Um, <clears throat> and then you get to the larger issue, well, who actually owns the data? Um, it may be sitting on someone's server, um, but there's a growing view actually that the patient owns the data because it's there, it's data about them. Um, <clears throat> so I, I and, and actually now as um, I get a little up in the years, I'm fortunately a pretty healthy person, but, but I, I like to look at my own medical records when I get a blood test done or something like that. Um, and um, my blood pressure runs a little borderline and I track it and things like that. Um, I um, um, th there's a growing kind of consumer movement view that that patients should have access to their data. Um, and then um, and then that, you know, so um, open notes and, and there have been studies. I mean, open notes, um, I, I think both the, the clinicians and the patients have adapted to it. Um, my institution has had open notes for at least half a decade. Um, it's it. it it's helpful to know sometimes to go back and, and look at them. Physicians need to be cognizant about what they put in the notes because patients are going to be reading them, unlike in the past. Um, although even in the old paper days, I would occasionally have a patient who saw something I wrote and would want to ask me about it. Um, but but that that is the the world that we live in. Um, but you know, patients also though now have the ability to interact with us digitally. Um, you know with personal health records um, and, and accessing their data. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there, there are potential downsides to um, misunderstandings or 
just other things that happen, um, th things that are highly confidential. And, and I think we need to be cognizant of that. So the, the Cures Act <clears throat> will really um, uh, requires that um, information be available via an API, an application programming interface that um, any application can access. So we, we've, we've moved into that world. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's more benefit than risk. I know there's probably others who, who disagree with me, um, you know, but that's certainly what um, many, maybe not all, but many patients want. And, um, you know, we should view it as an opportunity to engage them in their care. That sounds like the, the positive right way to, to look at <clears throat> things. Now, my next question, I admit, is a little bit off topic, but it's something that I'm, I'm interested in. Sure. It, if there are any opportunities to apply technology or biomedical uh, informatics to improve end-of-life care or palliative care? Um, sure. Um... The, it's it's not my my main area of expertise, but um, well, admittedly, you know, that was a curveball question. Yeah, uh, no, that's Dr. fine. I mean, actually, you know, I went through um, um, you know my parents, you know, when they were elderly and having end of life um, um, challenges. Um, it was actually helpful. Actually, my um, um, uh, mother um, had a kind of protracted illness. Um, um, and you know, was in a nursing home, um, and I was able to to access the patient portal um, from her physician. So I was able to follow up with her care to to be able to contact the the uh, practice that way. Um, and you know, these days a lot of people do have um, caregivers at the end of life, and they can be involved in that care. Um, certainly, telehealth. Um, in the early days, we thought of telehealth really as uh, um, care in remote areas. Um, um, you know, where I live here in Oregon, you know, Portland's a big city, but the, most of the rest of the state is pretty rural. And um, it was very, we, we could uh, project the um, expertise of our specialists to small towns. So patients actually didn't have to travel all the way to Portland or any other big metropolitan area. Um, but as time has gone on, there's another population, people who are frail and elderly, and even if their doctor's office is a mile away, it, it can be challenging for them to get there. And of course, throw in the whole pandemic now. So you know, I think um, telehealth has um, been um, a real boon. Um, <clears throat> there are people who are doing things. Uh, you know, elderly people often get put on multiple medications, you know, they, they have multiple medical problems. Sometimes those medications interact. Um, sometimes those medications shouldn't be used in elderly patients. Um, decision support systems can, you know, analyze the data and make suggestions. Um, you know, maybe this patient shouldn't be on this drug. It's not a good drug for the elderly, or it, it has some drug-drug um, interaction with another drug. So, so I think there's a lot of ways with um, um, elderly, um, you know, end, end of life care that that computers that that this sort of technology can be helpful. Doctor Hirsch, I think medicine is a is a mix of both art 
in science. And I've heard some criticize medical informatics as being heavy on the science and light on the art. Is that a fair criticism? Um, you know, probably for some people, um, you know, the, um, as you probably know, you know, one of the real hot areas right now is machine learning. Um, are, are we going to, you know, people, um, people can take a set of x-rays, usually um, high, very high quality films and, and run them through these deep learning algorithms and basically train these computer systems to be as accurate as say radiologists or pathologists or dermatologists. Um, th that's great, um, but that's not the end of the story because um, um, it still takes a physician um, e even a radiologist who um, kind of understands, um, you know, some of the nuances, plus the fact that um, not every um, x-ray image is taken perfectly and the machine learning algorithm is not going to give the absolute right diagnosis. At, at least at this point in time, there needs to be a human in the loop. Um, and, and then may maybe another example, you know, is the area of evidence-based medicine. Um, people... Um, you know, if, if a patient has this condition, you have to do that. That's what the evidence shows. And, you know, everyone knows that, that there's lots of gray areas and nuance in medicine. Um, I think um, I have a colleague who was quoted in a publication. I can send you the link. Um, he's a radiologist, actually, who, who, works in, um, who works with machine learning. And he says that... Um, um, Artificial intelligence won't replace radiologists, but radiologists who use artificial intelligence will replace radiologists who don't. So in the future, these will be tools, just like stethoscopes. I have another colleague, you know, says the, the search engine, you know, is just as important a tool for a physician to master as a stethoscope. You know, we all, certainly I did my first day in medical school, got my stethoscope, you know, I'm a real doctor now, and I learned how to detect heart murmurs and things like that. Um, and that's important, and that's still important, even in this day and age. Um, but, you know, also, I think knowing where to look for, for information, for good information, especially, um, you know, I lecture to medical students on informatics, and I always tell them that your relationship with information changes when you become a physician, a, a medical professional, because um, you have a responsibility to find and use the best information. You know, we all now these days, we all know anyone can go out on the internet and find anything they want and, and, and prove anything they want. But as a medical professional, you know, your professional ethical obligation, you know, is to find the best information. Now, um, but back to what you said, there, there's still the art of medicine and applying that information. Um, you know, I also sometimes point um, to the doctors on Star Trek, like Dr. McCoy. You know, he had all this technology at his disposal, but he always reminded us that he was a doctor. And, you know, he, he tended to his patients who needed his help, granted with kinds of technology we can only dream of. Um, I, I think there's always going to be that need for a physician. So, I, I'm not that worried. I, I mean, I get worried when I hear people, especially in my field, say, you know, doctors aren't going to be necessary anymore. I, that, um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not worried that there will not continue to be a role for physicians um, with this technology and not being replaced by it. We're almost at the end of our 
hard mm. time. And I think you were you're getting close to where where I'd like to to end, Dr. Hirsch, and that is sure. on some predictions of what you see medical informatics uh, doing for the for medicine and the profession of, of medicine in the next, say, ten years. Sure, um, you know I I think um, you know I, I keep coming back to both paper records and the pandemic. I, you know I think the, I think the pandemic has has taught us that um, data is important. Um, and um, even before the pan, you know, I, the pandemic kind of exposed that we still had a ways to go with our information systems and medicine. Um, and, and even before the pandemic, the the, the burnout and everything, I, I think we continue. We need to continue to work to make systems easier to use for physicians and other clinicians. I, I think there's a lot of promise with voice recognition. Um, some people say, you know, well, we should get the computer out of the exam room. Uh, I actually say we should get the keyboard out of the exam room. Keep, keep the computer with a microphone. The, there are people now that are developing systems that can actually even capture the dialogue between a patient and a physician and, and distinguish who's who and generate a note. You know, I, I, think, um, I think we need to make um, the, the entry of data um, much faster and accurate and easier. And then when we do that, we'll have a lot higher quality data that we can do things with and we can um, understand things and we can do large scale analyses, um, um, you know, hypertension, you know, what, what are the best drugs uh, that we should be using? Are there differences or does it not matter whether you take a diuretic or a beta blocker? Um, should we be, um, but does one show better um, value than another for patients? So I, I think, um, and that also involves other issues we talk about a lot in informatics, like standardizing the data, um, making it more interoperable, making it easier for the data to go between one system and another. So, you know, part of the original motivation around information blocking was to keep, was to prevent some of the vendors from um, letting other Way, other ways to get access to the data in their systems. And so I think that's a really good part of information blocking that you can't, um, um, that I, I won't name any specific vendors, but that that one vendor won't let their data go into another system. We, we should standardize the data um, as much as possible. That just like we do in cell phones, uh, you know, the, the GPS data is standard. So any app can use it. Um, you might like Google Maps. I might like Apple Maps. I might be shopping somewhere where they want to know where I am and tell me how to get to the quickest store. That, that's because the GPS data is standardized. We, we need to more and more standardize the medical data so we can move it from one app to another and, and be able to, to analyze it and so forth. I, I think those are some of the big challenges I, or, or opportunities. Um, I, I think there is a lot of promise for machine learning to help people recognize, to, to inform people of situations that they might not recognize. Um, and, um, you know, but, but being more of an assistant rather than, um, you know, trying to replace them. I, I think there's growing um, importance of telehealth. I, I think there's real value, you know, obviously sometimes the doctor needs to be able to lay their hands on a patient, but there's plenty of times when there just needs to be a conversation or even looking at something um, that doesn't necessitate actually going into a medical office. I, I, I think we'll, we'll see um, 
we'll see telehealth that, you know, as, as the world opens up after the pandemic, telehealth will continue, um, will, will continue, will, will go down some, but it'll end up at a much higher baseline than before the pandemic. So I, you know, I think a lot of those are opportunities for medicine, you know, and of course the um, physicians who work in informatics um, will, um, you know, be able to, to put their skills, knowledge and skills um, uh, on, on making those systems work better, um, better for physicians, better for patients and so forth. Well, it's certainly an exciting time to, to practice medicine and a fascinating topic. Dr. Woolhurst, thank you so much for being on Sound Practice. Yes, thank you for having me. I hope you found Dr. Hirsch's observations as interesting as I did. The field of medical informatics holds tremendous promise for the science of healing. Many thanks to Dr. William Hirsch for his time and insights. Many thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making Sound Practice possible. Please join me next time for a new episode of Sound Practice. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Man Robin, Red Book of Power.